Hello and welcome to the Business Buying Brit podcast episode five. If you're looking to build wealth through buying and operating small businesses, this is the place for you. We'll be telling the stories of the men and women who have gone before you, how they've done it, hearing what has gone well, and importantly, what has not gone well. Ultimately, our goal is to learn from their wisdom so that your journey to buying that first business successfully can be accelerated. Today, we have Mr. Joe Wexler. Joe is a serial business owner, investor, has had some major wins, and I know also some major challenges he's had to overcome along the way. Joe, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to unpacking your business buying wisdom. I'm excited to be here. Let's do it. <laughs> so I know that your background, like you spent some time in the big four, like I did, but um, just A, could you in your own words just give us a brief overview of your background? And B, was there a pivotal moment or realization that inspired you to leave your corporate job and buy that first small business? Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Um, I spent most of my career in management consulting. Uh, there was a time before that where it was, you know, the first few years out of college, I was doing uh, small family owned business work. I was either working in restaurants or um, did uh, real estate development and construction management for, for some small businesses. My goal was always to be in consulting. I didn't know why, it just sounded sexy. Um, so I got my MBA full-time and then transitioned into management consulting and spent uh, probably 10 plus years, about 10 years um, doing that for large big four uh, and then a smaller boutique firm. We, I did strategy, organizational structure and design, mergers and acquisitions for big companies. Um, I would say my last firm was a small boutique. I was a partner at that at that firm. And that's the first time I actually felt the responsibility of owning a business. Um, you know, I wasn't alone in it and I was very, you know, the minority partner in the, in the business, but had full visibility into payroll and revenue and, um, contributed a lot to, to growth and strategy and all those things. And that, that kind of mindset of switching from having a job and a paycheck to generating revenue was probably the first thing. Um, you know, we kind of plateaued, we grew the business pretty, pretty well and plateaued and ended up selling our business to a larger M&A advisory firm. And it was around that time that I was learning about not just revenue generation, but asset acquisition and understanding what owning a, an asset meant. You know, I'd never done a lot of real estate. Um, I was late to read uh, rich dad, poor dad, and all those things. Uh, but that's, that was the lesson I learned. So my pivotal, pivotal moment was, you know, having this consulting business, selling it, realizing I was still in the ultimate trading time for money uh, profession and not having any real assets. Uh, and that's when I kind of decided to leave consulting. I took the the sale of that business as an opportunity to take my, take my exit. And, uh, with the goal of buying businesses, I think my original vision was, you know, I want to ultimately own a portfolio of operating companies that operate with relative autonomy, um, that I would still be engaged in, but have good management teams and kind of sit there and provide the resources, the strategy. Um, and I didn't know if that was going to be, two companies or 20 and uh we're well on that journey now so 
So how old were you when you had that pivotal moment, when you had that exit and you then wanted to, to make that tr transition from exchanging time for money into the more investor world? Late, th late 30s. So okay. um, you know, I'm 42 now. I'll be 43, I guess 42 and a half. So yeah, it was late, late 30s, pretty late. Um, still plenty of time, a lot of energy. <laughs> I think that's a really important point for people listening because the, in this day and age with social media, people can get to like 25 and think, man, I'm such a failure. I haven't done anything with my life. I still don't know what I'm doing. So it's really inspiring, I think, to hear that you had your pivotal moment kind of late th 37 is really like late 30s or. Uh, yeah, I was probably 38, 39, you know, 39, certainly as I once I actually got started in it. Okay. Um, so. I, honestly, I mean, I think it would have been harder to do any sooner. I mean, the experiences that I went through both in the large consulting organizations, working for large multinational firms, you know, most of my consulting was international. Uh, so I got to see a lot of, a lot of different team dynamics, a lot of different cultures, um, in a pretty safe place to learn all those things. Um, which I think, you know, and then converting to that small boutique firm as a partner, once again, he teaches you, you know, business acquisition is not passive. You know that. Um, so I, had I tried to do this in my mid twenties, late twenties or whatever, I think I probably wouldn't have been in, been in a place to actually do it the way I'm doing it now. So I think that's a, a good point in terms of you, you know, you basically made the most of the opportunity you had. You may not have known that you were doing it at the time, really like yeah. what it was going to lead to, but by taking advantage of where you're at right now, there will be something, whatever you're doing, um, you could learn to do it with excellence and you could learn, you know, work discipline. And it, even if you feel like it's not, you know, um, it, cause my follow up question, I suppose is, do you need to have a resume like yours? Cause your resume is very impressive. Um, but like, even if someone's listening and, and feels that their resume is not that like, there's still something probably right in front of you, you could do and you could learn, you could learn to do with excellence that will prepare you for maybe a future or in the world of small small business acquisition. No, I think that's very well said. No, you don't have to have that resume. I think if, if you have a good grasp of um, the business, if you can work with people, I mean, I think that's the other thing about businesses is there's people involved. Um, so if you have some, some real human empathy, um, you're you know committed to a value set that, uh, that supports that type of interaction, then you don't have to have the, I mean, 10 years in management consulting at big companies. It's not, uh, not a prerequisite in my opinion, but yeah. So you're the first thing you pull, pulled out was empathy. That's interesting. You didn't say accounting. You didn't say sales experience. You said the ability to connect with people. I spend 90% <laughs> of my time on the businesses I own is on the people and the culture. Uh, obviously we get into systems and some of the, you know, tactical day-to-day -day stuff of how we run the business. But um, yeah, if you don't have people that are buying into a shared vision and uh, you know, establishing that credibility and the loyalty from them, I don't, it's, you, know, you can buy a business and run it and be the one doing all of the work, but you'll never scale that way. Uh, mm. So all of my energy, certainly early on goes into those people and those relationships, hundred percent. That's good. I like that a lot. Yeah. I always say peop, uh, to people that buying a business is not, people think it's a thinking game. I say it's a thinking and a feeling game. You know, like on the Myers-Briggs, it's kind of helpful to be somewhere 
you know, right in the middle because yes, you need to be able to analyze numbers and that's what people know straight off the bat, but actually you have to be able to feel out the atmosphere of the business you're potentially about to acquire. What is the culture like? Is there anything that's toxic here that would be a major red flag in future or, or cause problems? And all of that is just as important as like putting a really good spreadsheet together. Absolutely. I mean, you start, you start with the numbers to know high level if it's a right fit, if it makes sense. And, but that's only a part of the story to your point. So mm -hmm. it's really critical, not, not only important, but it's critical. I, I mean, you talked about some of the successes. I mean, one, one that might've been a challenge or an opportunity is I bought a business where I didn't spend enough time. I wasn't really given the chance to, and this is a hard, we can talk about like where, where in the process do you get to meet some of the team and all that. Um, but I bought a business that I ended up having to turn over the entire staff in the first four months. I mean, talk about <laughs> walking into something that, uh, you know, needs a little bit more love than you need to. Now the seller was, you know, pretty forthcoming from the beginning. Um, it's not like you misrepresented anything. Uh, but we did expect a little bit more from the existing team and, um, we hired for, for culture, for fit, for energy, all, you know, all the things that, I mean, it's obviously skill set, but that was just table stakes that mm -hmm. the other things that you have to look for. So. so this is perfect segue into you've had your exit. You've decided you don't want to just trade time for money anymore. And you want to start buying businesses. You don't know if it's two or 20, like you said, is this the start of blue line ventures? Is it, was yes. this the start of it here? Okay. Correct. So this was the, the first kind of, you know, venture into this world. And then this company that you're speaking about now, where you had to replace the entire staff in the first four months, which sounds like uh, we, we probably should unpack that more, but was that your first business acquisition as well? No, it was not. No. Okay. Thankfully. Yeah. The so you had some experience at that point. Could you tell us about that first deal then once you made that decision, how did that come about? And then like, how did you identify it as the right business to, to enter into this world? Yeah. Wow. So I, I spent a good amount of time, um, kind of getting some clarity for myself about what I was looking for, why I wanted to do it, what I wanted my kind of day to day to look like, what I thought I brought to the table. When I first started, I, you know, had this, you know, as a general generalist management consulting, I thought I could kind of just buy any kind of business. It'd be fine. Like I don't have a specific industry skill set. Realized that wasn't helpful. So, Anytime I talked to somebody about what I was looking for and I wasn't able to articulate what I was looking for, they couldn't help me. And, um, so I spent some time on that. Uh, I ended up, um, narrowing my search down to home healthcare businesses, uh, with one partner. Um, most of the consulting I had done in the previous, maybe four years of my career was healthcare. So there's some reasons why I went there. Um, and then I also did mostly manufacturing and distribution for the rest of my career. So I was looking at manufacturing businesses as well. Uh, the first business that I got under contract and way down the line with was a multi-location home care business. Um, there was a couple entities involved because they did hospice as well. And that was a deal I found through a relationship with an attorney, just networking, um, mentioned what I was doing and what I was looking for. And he instantly thought of a client he had had a couple years ago and thought it was a good fit. Um, which was incredible process because then I, you know, he made the introduction. She, it was a warm introduction. 
she hadn't thought about selling yet, but knew it was getting close to being time. So we got to go through that process together and I kind of led her through that, which was really incredible. Um, this one was a tough one though, because about a week from closing, we had all the documents done, all the funding, all the financing. I had actually even been introduced to her, the whole company as the new owner. And then the next day she backed out. So, <laughs> uh, took some wind out of the sails. Um, wow. She backed out because we had uncovered some IRS liability during due diligence that would have transferred, which we totally carved out of the whole uh, transaction. And her attorneys, having discovered that as we did, advised her that she wasn't able to sell her company at that time for that. So really good business, really great underlying financials and systems and teams, but just like a weird bogey that was 10 years old that couldn't overcome that. Wow. There's uh, a couple of things that I want to pull out. One is, um, you know, we often talk about and advise people to find where you have an unfair advantage. So you spent some time, you basically thought about what I call a buy box, you know, like what, what do you, what do you want to buy? And then as part of that, where do you have experience that maybe gives you an edge over other people? So manufacturing and healthcare, that's a perfect example. Like you've been deep in those industries. Therefore, I'm probably, better suited to to look at those types of businesses um and then the other thing you just mentioned about that irs i mean that just highlights how important diligence is like to do diligence properly i mean that could have you could have ended up you know buying if you hadn't you know done your diligence properly you could have ended up Who buying that and having this li liability transfer over to you yeah i mean i th obviously you carve as much out as you can buy the assets not the not the stock in that scenario and have some firewalls, but the IRS has long arms, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, and it probably would have, you know, a transaction would have triggered some action on their part. She had letters every year from the IRS going back like 12 years saying you owe us this and she was just fighting it. So, wow. um, you know, that one was, it was such a good learning experience, James, because, you know, we got, it, it allowed us to go through the whole process, right? LOI, due diligence, um, purchase agreement negotiation, asset allocation, financing, um, SBA, everything. Just because we didn't close, um, it was still kind of a good experience to have actually done it, not just hear about it. Um, obviously, I had kind of put a ton of energy into that. So one thing that I learned also was because I was so excited about that one, I had slowed down my search and kind of stopped all that stuff. Uh, so then it like when it actually dropped, like, Oh man, now I've got to start again. It's not like I can just kind of keep it going. So now I'm a little bit more intentional about, even if I'm not actively looking, I'm still keeping the, the muscles flexed on that. Um, I guess the downside there is, uh, you know, it's like you wait all this time for a bus and two or three come along at once. Uh, yeah. I have a good friend who's been waiting for business and then the first one actually went through, but he wasn't sure for ages. So he continued to look and now he's buying basically two, you know, one right after another, um, which is another consideration because sometimes that also isn't why sometimes that is, that can work really well. But um, yeah, I guess it's better to have uh, too many options and then you can whittle down based on your risk appetite versus just a completely empty pipeline. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you don't keep looking, then nothing's going to come. So yeah, it's a, I guess it's a balance there. So the so first did that, business I did, oh, go ahead. 
I was going to say, did that did that knock you? So yes, it was up, you know, upsetting. You were kind of emotionally involved. How long did it then kind of mm-hmm. take you out of the game? Like, how long did it take to first of all get your mindset? Like, okay, I've got to pick myself up and go again. Yeah. And then how long did it take to find the next one? Yep. The mindset, uh, maybe a week. I mean, I kind of let myself feel sorry for myself uh, for a few days and then just jumped on the horse. Uh, time from me kind of deciding I was going to buy a business and learning about it to when that first one would have closed was probably about nine months. Um, and then it w- I closed on my first business six to seven months after that one would have closed. Um, maybe not quite that long, it's about six months. Were you working during this period or were you able to live off the exit that you'd had previously? I was not working. Um, I was able to live a little bit off of the exit, uh, but I also, Blue Line does also M&A advisory work. Mm. Um, so one of the my thoughts there was uh, start Blue Line Ventures to offer some M&A advisory, which obviously leans on the experiences management and management consulting I had to do two things, provide a little, you know, provide cash flow, potential opportunity to put into an investment uh, bucket, but also to provide leads and source opportunities for the acquisitions. So I was making a little bit of money doing independent consulting um, throughout the time. So I was able, I wasn't like my cash balance wasn't going up necessarily, but mm-hmm. it also wasn't really going down, which was nice. Um, but I had no other income and no other, no other job. Okay. I, Cause I'm thinking for listeners here today, most will not have had an exit. So it is possible you were doing bits and pieces of consulting. Yes, there was strategy behind it. Like it could be a, a source of deals, but there was some work going on. Um, yeah. One thing I uh, learned is it actually made it harder for me to get financing, to be honest. Like if I had had a job and I was doing this and able to prove some income, it made it would have made me more bankable. Um, it didn't preclude me from getting loans, obviously, but it was a little bit tougher. That's a great point as well. Like once you leave your W2, your day job or career to come and be a full-time investor, um, if you have real estate investments or any kind of investments, banks all of a sudden do not like you anywhere near as much as they did when you have a secure W2. Yeah. I can speak firsthand to that. It's just part, <laughs> it's just part, part of it. And then you slowly have to start building up again. Correct. Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, they want you to buy, if they're going to buy a business, they're investing in you and they want you to make sure the business succeeds, but they also want you to have another source of income. So you're not relying on that business. It's for me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And we always go back to the fact that W2 isn't necessarily secure as well. Like there's no reason that is necessarily more secure, but anyway, that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) So, so, so then it took another six months to find the business you actually closed on. Like Mm -hmm. how did that process go in comparison to the first one? What did you learn from the first almost deal that you then applied to the actual deal that you closed on? Yep. Great question. I think again, having gone through the whole process except for closing um, made it easier to to do some of the evaluation on opportunities, uh, know how the like the, Period, time period between an LOI and a purchase agreement would go from due diligence and things to look for on that front. Uh, I mentioned the first one was a kind of off-market referral-based, privately sourced opportunity. The, biz, the first business I closed on was actually listed with a brokerage. 
manufacturing business in North Carolina. Um, and I, with, with this one, I mentioned before that I was looking for manufacturing. So it, it kind of fit the overall picture of what I was looking for. But really, again, it came down to the people. So I met the I met the seller and a couple people on the team, and just got a really good feel about them. Um, he, I think, had a really good feeling about us. Uh, this is something I did with partner, um, and the the purchase price wasn't listed anywhere. So we did our own evaluation, did some projections, came up with what we thought was a fair multiple. He accepted it. Um, you know, did some seller financing. SBA loan, some down payment. Um, and this is, we're two years on now and I talked to him yesterday and it's a great, a great relationship. Um, so there's some really interesting things to draw out here. So first of all, location, how far away was this North Carolina location from you? It's about a three hour drive. Okay. So it's not, not right there. So how did you feel about doing one that wasn't an easy drive away? Yeah, this one, um, from the beginning, my goal was not to buy something that I had to be in day to day. That said, it's not, I have no illusions about not being completely absent from any business I own. So it was close enough that I could, that I was there certainly for the first three months I was there every week, right? I would drive up, I'd spend one or two days there uh, with the goal of really focusing on those relationships, right? Make sure that the team and I have a level of trust and loyalty and understand the dynamic of the business, understand the culture, how and if I would impact that. And all of those, all of that time really helps now when I have to make a decision. If I didn't have that time in that context, it'd be hard for me to make the right decision for the company. Um, but, you know, I've got it's a, it's a wonderful team that I think we have a really great relationship together. Um, with this seller did stick around for 12 months. So part of the purchase agreement was a 12 month transition period. Um, he went from a hundred percent in the first three months to 75% time to 50% time to 25% time. So we weaned him off. And one of the things that the seller note was tied to is his support of finding, hiring, and training his replacement as general manager. Um, That's good. I like that. Yeah, it was, it's worked out well. So he, so we hired somebody about at the, at right about the three month mark. Um, and <clears throat> I spent a lot of time with him kind of ingraining the, the team there and, and coming up with some shared strategies and ways we could improve the business. Um, and since then it's been just been great. So, I probably at this point go visit them in person once a quarter, uh, spend an hour a week kind of connecting, looking at financials and metrics and talking to them. And that's, it's, uh, pretty much how it is. That's great. How much has the business grown in that, you know, a couple of years you've owned it? Yep. So the year we bought it, uh, it did 2.7 million in top line revenue reportedly 740,000. In earnings, I'd say reportedly because we did not experience that in the first year. <laughs> um, talk about that too. Um, but this year we're on track to do just north of 4 million in revenue um, and just north of 1 million in earnings uh, pre-debt pre service. So uh, it's it's been a really good journey for us. So 
if I, if I use the same multiple that I bought the business at, uh, which 3.38 based on what it was reported to be and applied it to what it'll be this year, we've grown it, the value of the business by 44%. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. And just, you said earnings, like what kind of earnings metric did you use? Did you use seller's discretionary earnings? Did you use EBITDA? Like how did you think about that? Yeah, we used seller's discretionary earnings. Um, and, you know, the, they, he was, this was an old school guy. He was a second generation owner, um, kind of a good old boy, if you will. And there was not a lot of noise in the financials, to be honest. There wasn't a whole lot of ad backs that needed to be considered. And that actually t- you know, came out to be true. So uh, that's the number we, we use. There's a couple things. Um, the Some of the rent and some of that stuff. But we kind of normalized all that and got to a pretty good number. Is there anything you would have done differently looking back at that first deal you closed on? Is there anything you would have done differently if you were to do it now with all this extra experience? That's a good question. Um, I would say the one thing that I wish we had done at the beginning that we didn't do is buy the real estate with the business. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time it makes sense to buy the real estate and the business together. Um but I think there are some businesses where the real estate kind of makes sense to be part of the business. And this is one of those scenarios. Um, and I think the, the main reasons I say that is one, because mo- the value of the real estate today compared to what it would have been if we had done this a couple of years ago was like double, right? So, mm-hmm. so we're in the process of now trying to buy the real estate and we're going to pay two or $3 million more than we would have if we had actually tried to do it at the beginning. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's something, but also having a landlord in this scenario hasn't really benefited us. We have a great relationship with them, of course, but there are some improvements um, and some deferred maintenance that we want to do or have done on the building that he's not necessarily willing to do. So there's some of that that's, uh, you know, we don't have the full control of the whole, the whole space. And that's really important in a manufacturing business. You know, all of our equipment, is connected to the building and really expensive and hard to move to another location. So that's why I say it makes sense in this scenario. Um, so if you'd done a, a, a transaction that included the real estate, you'd have probably tried to get an SBA, probably a 7A with a, and the, one of the advantages is you can ex, ex, stretch the amortization period from say a 10 year to up to a 25 year. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, is there, I'm just looking for a silver lining here for you because not every situation is the same, but by buying just the business first, and then yes, of course, it's painful to pay two or $3 million more now. Did you de-risk the move for you? So you didn't just jump in with two feet and buy a building and business? I'm just trying to- Absolutely. The fact that there is a lot of deferred maintenance on the property, there's definitely, mm-hmm. the landlord's definitely had some ch- challenges even since we've been in there where he's had to rectify some, some infrastructure on property. There's other buildings on the property. It's a pretty large swath of land that has other tenants on it. We're the primary tenant, of course. Um, and I think to your point, um, you know, we do still have a little bit of flexibility because it's just the business and not the property. So, yeah. Okay. So, that is a great over, overview, so thank you. Uh, one thing I really want to go back to is you referenced, it wasn't your first business purchase, but you bought, was it your second business purchase where you had to replace the whole staff in the first four months? Um, I want to 
I guess, um, and that was second business purchase, right? Yeah, this was after the manufacturing company. Uh, so I guess, you know, how, how long did it take you or to decide you wanted to buy a second business and then actually close on it? And then I really want to get into kind of some of the weight aspect of like the emotional side of like having that level of stress on you because, you know, partner in a consulting firm, you know, great salary, I imagine. And then you've already got now one business, which, you know, you're trying to grow. But like, I know that there's a different kind of weight as a business owner, you have to make payroll every week, and mm-hmm. then to have to replace the whole staff. I just feel like that would be so valuable for people to hear that, like some of these really hard times do happen. And oh, like, how, how did you, how did you, for those that are on audio, like Joe's wincing right now. So uh, I'd love, I'd love you to unpack that for us. So this, this was actually a home care business. So I stay, we stayed pretty true to that thesis and continued to look uh, for home care businesses. I found this business actually through a mail campaign that I did. So um, in this industry, all the businesses are licensed and publicly listed. So it's easy to find the list of businesses that are out there. That's not the case in all of the in all industries. Um, so my process was to go through the whole list, kind of uh, narrow some geography on it, and then my litmus test was literally going through the websites. And if they had a decent looking website, they stayed on the list. If they didn't, they got removed. It was super um, technical, and <laughs> uh, but that was it. And then I just sent handwritten letters to each of them. Um, I think I sent out 24 letters, half a dozen got res- returned. They, they never reached the destination. I probably had half a dozen conversations out of that, which was a surprising return. Uh, Two of them led to negotiations. One led to a closed LOI and, and deal. Pretty small company, uh, about a million. It was a million dollar acquisition. So, yeah, real pretty small, doing about one point four in revenue, something like that, and like two fifty in earnings, some somewhere in there. Um, and the seller had acquired this business three or four years prior from the founder, who is still around. And he had done some things to really kind of step up the marketing, convert our payer mix, like done some pretty good things for the business, but it wasn't his passion. It was like, it was an investment. Um, and he was fine the way things were, but he was getting back into a day job and just kind of the timing of my letter arriving on his doorstep was just kind of good. Right. I don't think he was really thinking about selling, but, um, we met a couple times, seemed to get along well. And he was open to it. Now he was pretty clear from the beginning, like, you know, the person who runs the office is fine, is good. She does a good job. She keeps things together, but she's probably not the answer if you're looking to grow. Um, and he kind of walked us through the key people in the office uh, with that kind of level of clarity. And we had a chance to meet one of them and the woman that was the founder who still worked in the business and got a good level of comfort with her. Um, ended up closing, happy to talk through the terms, a little bit different than that first one. And the team that we inherited was just that they were fine. They were kind of keeping it afloat, but you could also see they were lazy and like the trend coming into the transaction was down, which we, it was hard to see. Um, and did you uncover that indiligence that the results were coming down? Or was that a surprise to you once you had the keys and you actually, I, w- I would say that the, the numbers 
weren't going down until after the sale, but all of the habits and the behaviors of the, you know, several months leading up were, we were, were manifested after the closing. Does that make sense? Um, you know, the, the previous seller was totally hands off. He wasn't, he was absentee and not again, not that it wasn't really a falling knife. I wouldn't say it wasn't a turnaround situation, but it was close. Um, and the woman that ran most of the office, uh, ended up needing to leave the city for family reasons. So that was, you know, that probably accelerated our need to turn things over. And honestly, like when you're first in a business and you're a few months in, you're still learning it and still trying to figure out like, how does all this work? What's, what's the flow of this? What's my team look like? So we had, I hadn't really fully gotten gotten indoctrinated into the business yet when she was like, I got to leave. <laughs> um, so we kept her on remote for a little while and then just started recruiting right away. Uh, and slowly everybody else, we were like, okay, now's our opportunity. We knew we were going to have to do this. We knew we were going to have to hire or recruit somebody that could actually run this thing and take it to where we want to go. Uh, Who's this we, by the way, that like, what's your collection of partners here? What's the yep. build up? So uh, me and one other individual own this 50, 50. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, somebody that I worked with in different capacities over the past, probably six years six or seven years, uh, no trust, like different skill set. He's still a W2, um, but still pretty engaged. Um, different partner mix than the manufacturing company. So mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. Um, so anyway, yeah, we, we knew we were going to have to recruit to replace the leader there. It just didn't, we didn't expect to have to do it so early. Uh, and, but if we kind of embrace it as an opportunity and the woman we have running it now is like 20 years experience, run, run multiple businesses that are way bigger than this one in the same exact industry. Um, and relocated the office, kind of put in brand new culture. We have brand new core values that we rolled out to the entire staff. So there's probably 40 employees in this company, only two or three that work in the office. Um, but really kind of built it from the top like, okay, here's, this is what we want our business to look like. Let's go do this and roll it out. And it's been amazing. So, um, again, it was hard because we had to make those changes before we actually really understood the business, but I would take it as a gift because now we actually have a team in place that we do believe is getting us to, to that next milestone. So it was not without stress for sure. We never, um, you know, we never had to contribute extra capital. We never went into the red, but we got close enough to be nervous about payroll a couple times and things like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it takes real boldness to, um, to make a decision of that magnitude. I can imagine, you know, you and your partner discussing like, are we doing the right thing here? Like, are we blowing up the thing we've just bought? You know, like, should we be, try, should we be quote safe and just, try and like, I don't know, repurpose some of these people or train them or like, I mean, that takes some serious boldness to actually do the full transition. Yeah. I mean, I think again, it, it forced our hand, right? We, we were planning on doing it slowly, more slowly and more incrementally over time. Um, not just putting our feet up and hoping it coasts that way, but we definitely had to take a little bit more massive action sooner than we had anticipated. So, yeah. 
I think I don't mean to kind of jump off it, but one thing I've learned as well, coming from like a big corporate setting to like small business, like often like you just have to take super decisive, like, you know, mm. in big, in big corporate, there's lots of layers. So it's like, oh yeah, I made a decision, but let's run it up or pass this person. And it's like all these like formal channels, everything has to go through in the small business world. Um, generally to win, you have to make clear, decisive action and it has to be bold. Yep. Um, it's just, just an observation I've, I've had. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. There's not those layers. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of decisions. <laughs> there's, there's you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the best you can do is I, I mean, I believe you bring your team along with you and let them participate in some of those conversations. Cause if you, if you isolate them, that them from that, then you're really alone on an Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the best leaders I've observed, uh, take a team approach to all that stuff and kind of bring their, their team into the tent rather than just feeling like they've got a command and control from the top. That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, okay. So what I would love to do is just get an idea of what does today look like for you? Like what does your current, um, you know, holdings landscape look like? And then what are your visions and plans for the future? Yeah, no, it's great. So today, um, I've got four operating companies and it's been about a year since I closed on one. So I've just kind of let, let those all marinate and make sure I understand all the, that they're all working well, learn a ton of lessons along the way. Uh, the whole time I have been keeping up my search network and my, in that muscle and doing the advisory stuff on the side. Um, and now I'm at a point where I want to go do more. So I've got great teams running these businesses and I'm out actively searching for new acquisitions. Uh, one thing I've learned is I think kind of the bigger you can go, the better, um, to an extent, but I just shared two examples. One was a two and a half million dollar acquisition that had a team and a pretty good structure. And I've kind of, it's on auto, autopilot. Not really. We're growing it and doing a lot of things, but, um, the other one had one or two people in the office that were very, it was very kind of house of cardsy. Um, and that was a million dollar acquisition. So my goal is to do things that are north of $3 million, probably up upwards of six, seven, eight million dollar acquisitions because of what that scale provides. And it's the same amount of effort, if not less from, from this side. <clears throat> so to do that, I'm, I'm I am going to bring, bring on investors here soon to, to help with that vision um, and actually create that holding company that I set out to do. So I talked about that at the top, but all the acquisitions I've done have been individual, right? So I own this one with one partner group, this one with another, this one with another, right? And I don't actually have that holding company structure. I just kind of started like, what mm-hmm. can I go do this and I'm gonna go buy businesses. So now I'm in the process of actually putting that holding company structure in place, which will allow me to do more. Cause if I think about, adding another incremental side business with a different partner group and all that. Like, I don't know if I have the capacity and it's not, Mm -hmm. uh, because I haven't put that top layer structure over, it's not optimal. So now that's what I'm working on. I think that's a really good point. Uh, the more people I speak to that have done this and done it well and successfully, like the, the more important is it becomes apparent that you just need to start. Like mm-hmm. don't spend ages setting up all these different holding coach structures and like just start. And then, yeah, maybe you get a second opportunity. Maybe at that point you consider a hold call or something like that. But like 
honestly, it's better to jump in, learn through experience and uh, get going, as you said. Like, I, I just think that's so important. So yeah, yeah, it's a natural no, progression for you at this stage, you know, it's like now's a great time for you to set up, set this up and think about the long-term v- future and vision. Yeah. I don't, I think my natural um, mode is just do start. I mean, the, there's an expression that almost is a mantra for me live leap and the net will appear. So just like step off the cliff, mm. you'll figure out how to catch yourself. Just got to start. Cause if you don't ever take that step, it's not going to be there. I was going to ask you as a final question, right? What one piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to buy small businesses that has not yet, you know, done so? Is that it, or do you have any other? Uh, I think that's a good one. I mean, that, that's that, that's a good one. I think you know when I started out, um, I just consumed as much out there as I could. So I read a couple books, I listened to a bunch of podcasts, and then I just started talking about it. Um, and I found, to my surprise, that once I put it out there that that's what I was doing, resources started coming to me rather than me having to try to go uncover them. Um, so it's just a fascinating thing that once you, you know, if you, you say something and you can almost speak it into action, into reality. So leap in the net will appear is a kind of a good one. Um, yeah, just don't be afraid to kind of learn and be humble about it because people will share. I mean, this is, you know, this you're, you're doing this, but there are so many businesses out there. Mm-hmm. like millions and millions of businesses that need to change hands in the next decade or whatever. So there's, there's no reason not to share some of these practices because it's not going to always be competitive. I mean, the things that I'm looking for are not the same things that you're looking for. Even if they are, there's still more than either one of us could take. So um, just be humble, get it, get information, reach out to James, reach out to me, you know, there's people willing to talk about this stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, how can listeners get in contact with you or learn more about you and your companies if they want to reach out? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm probably most active, actually only active on LinkedIn. Um, just Joe Wexler. I don't know what the URL is. Blue Line Ventures is the company. Uh, it's The URL is www.blueline-ventures.com. Um, we're, that's all up and running, but we are kind of updating it to reflect the, the now new holding company strategy. So that's going to be changing over the next month or two, but, um, URL will still work. So awesome. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes. Thanks for uh, coming on today. It's been great chatting. Great as always, James. Good seeing you. Thanks for having me.